you kind of wait till you hear like the end of like the tearing, you know. You can always tell who's frustrated, who can't quite get like that wafer out. Listen, if you can't get the wafer out, I'm sorry, because they, they really are delicious, right? So, all right, kids' church. Anybody wants to go to kids' church, now is your chance. There we go. All right. Just a reminder, next week is Easter. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to start with a sunrise service. It's 645. It's going to be out on the hillside uh, by the cross. Uh, come join us there. Uh, 7.45, we're going to have breakfast back in the fellowship hall. Um, and then we're going to have two services next week. We're going to have service at 9, and uh, then we'll have service again at 10.45. So uh, plan on coming to one of those. There's not going to be any kids' church. There will be nursery. Uh, but other than that, we'll just have two family services. So plan on joining us next week. We're really excited. Tim Barth is taking care of breakfast. Uh, it's always good. We got pancakes, uh, biscuits and gravy, eggs. I, I kind of want to just keep going so Tim can find out everything that he's got to provide now. But I'm, I'm going to stop there. So, right. Man, let's pray and let's jump in and uh, see what God's word has for us today. Jesus, it's so good to be with family. And I pray that you would meet with us here, that you would speak your truth into our lives. Uh, Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So growing up uh, in high school was about the time that paintball started to get pretty big. And so Southwest Kansas, we, we didn't have any paintball places, but, you know, we had lots of farmyards. So uh, I had some friends, the Purdies, and so we'd get together for paintball out at their place. And, you know, we're all like 16 and, you know, working, but like we actually had to pay for stuff. So like not a lot of disposable income. So we'd show up to paintball and, you know, we all had masks, but that was about it. And then, and then, you know, some of us would have, like, those cheap, like, $10 paintball markers, you know, paintball guns. Like, I shot a pump forever. I mean, who shoots a pump paintball gun? But that's all I could afford. You know, and then, and then there'd be guys out there who then, you know, would have extra money. And, you know, they'd have, like, the three or $400 paintball gun that, you know, could spray, you know, 7,000 rounds a minute or whatever. And, you know, you get out there and you just feel like you were totally outclassed. So the way we equalized it is we had a couple games that we would play after dark, kind of capture the flag type games. Uh, and what we would do is everyone had to put their gun away and everybody got a slingshot. So then you're playing paintball with a slingshot in the dark. And, uh, you know, all of us were hunters, you know, and so all of us were, you know, at least decently okay at being quiet. And so you'd be playing uh, paintball in the dark with a slingshot. So you have one shot and you'd be creeping around and it'd be pitch dark. And all of a sudden, you'd realize that like somebody else is not too far away. And so you'd creep a little bit closer, and they'd get a little bit closer, but you still wouldn't know if they're on your team or not. And I remember one time where I was at the edge of a corral, I think, and, and this other person, he was uh, behind this, uh, this implement, and we were only like six feet away from each other, uh, but we couldn't see. I mean, it was dark, so we couldn't tell who the other person was. And so, I mean, just sitting here, just ready to let it go, but just not sure if this guy's on your team or not. And so you wait, and, uh, you know, you wait till either, you know, the clouds move a little bit, something happens, all of a sudden you realize who this person is. And at that point, it's action time, you know? And, uh, and I, still, I still have a scar here from, I think, that particular one where we let each other have it at about three and a half feet with slingshots, and that hurts so bad. That was a really good lesson. You know, as soon as you realize, and, and you don't shoot too early because you, you don't want to do that to a teammate because then you're not very popular, Right? But, like, as soon as you realize who this person is, then, like, it's, it's, it's no longer time to sit and think about stuff. You know, you don't work through your decision tree at that point. At that point, it's time for action. 
And that's where we are today. We're in Mark chapter 11. Open your Bibles. Uh, if you have them, otherwise it's going to be up on the screen. So we're going to talk about the triumphal entry today. And so this is what we usually talk about Palm Sunday. This is where Jesus rides into Jerusalem uh, on, this, on this donkey colt. You know, apparently back in the day, nobody told him that you're supposed to wa- ride like a giant, you know, white charger if you're coming in as the king. Um, but Jesus comes in, and this is when Jesus starts to put the cards on the table. And so for the past three years, Jesus has been doing ministry, and you know, his disciples have seen some incredible things. You know, they, they've seen the dead raised. Uh, they've seen the lame healed. They've seen people with leprosy be cured. Uh, they saw 5,000 people uh, be fed by, uh, by two fish and five loaves. A little while later, they saw 4,000 people be miraculously fed. They saw blind people receive their sight. Uh, you know, they, saw all, they saw all these Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the experts, uh, kind of created by Jesus just because he would kept pointing back to God's word and say, no, you're getting it wrong. So for three years, like these people had watched Jesus. They knew he was powerful. Uh, they knew that he was clearly like a messenger from God. But they hadn't quite complete made the leap that like Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the one that God was sending. And I mean, we know a few individual people had. Apparently Mary had figured it out. Uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, Peter had said, you know, you're the Christ, the sent one of God. But we don't even know if he really got what it meant. And and that whole time through, we've been using this term in Mark, where Mark uh, kind of plays or shows that Jesus is playing his cards and, and kind of using this messianic secret, you know, where Jesus kind of hints at it, but he doesn't full out say, yeah, like I am the coming king. Uh, because he knows that as soon as he does that, he's going to start to trigger events uh, that he knows are going to end up with him on the cross. You know, the disciples, they've even been a little bit impatient before because they've been like, look, Jesus, like, if you're God's chosen one, then man, let's, uh, let's go crack some skulls and let's let everybody know what's going on. You know, because there, there was this idea that when God's deliverer was going to come, that God's deliverer was going to come and they were going to overthrow these Roman oppressors. Because in, in their mind, that's what freedom meant. That's, that's what liberty for God meant, was, was this, this nationalistic, like overthrowing these Roman oppressors, and that was going to be like, that was as good as God could do. Like that, that would be the best thing ever, is if, if Israel was like freed from, from the Roman oppressors. And what's interesting is, is I mean, we, we do that all the time, where we end up thinking way too small. And if, if you fill in the blanks on the back of the bulletin, this is the first two. Messianic secret, no more. Now it's getting to decision time. I mean, that's, that's really like the ball starts rolling here in a way that it, it can't be stopped. Where Jesus, he's been laying the groundwork, but uh, as we're going to see, he's, he's putting his cards on the table and saying, nope, like this, this is who I am. Second one is this, and this is what we do all the time, but the Jews were hoping that Jesus was in Jerusalem to defeat the foreigners. But he was actually there to defeat sin and death. And I mean, again, like the Jews did this, we do this all the time, where we think too small. You know, where, where in, in, in the mind of a first century Israelite, I mean, for them it would have been like, man, if, if we could get rid of like the Roman oppression, that would be as good as it gets. And God's like, no, no, no. No, if we could get rid of, if we could defeat sin and death, that would actually be moving towards as good as it gets and god since the the beginning of the world when adam and you know he created this perfect world adam and eve sinned uh, you know um sin came into the world and from that point on 
God had this plan to set things right. And we know what that looks like eventually because we, we read Revelation last fall, worked our way through that, you know, this new heaven, new earth, this, this place where, again, God gives us the opportunity to care for an earth where everything's perfect again. And Jesus and His crucifixion is, is what set, like didn't just set that in motion, but, but that was the moment where Jesus said, all right, things, things are made right now, and now we're just cleaning up the pieces. So this is where we're at. Uh, again, these folks were thinking too small, and Jesus was like, no, I'm a little bit, little bit bigger than that. And, and I think that's a lesson that we can learn before we go anywhere else, is Jesus always, always, always thinks, thinks bigger than we do. And uh, you know, we heard from Dale last hour, uh, but I imagine if you talked to Dale 50 years ago, and we're like, hey, do you see that like thousands of people in the Philippines and, and, and dozens of church plants are going to come from like what God's going to do through you. Um, I, I haven't asked Dale, but I imagine he would be like, no, no, but if I can make a difference for one church, that'd be pretty cool. And Jesus is like, no, no, we're, we're thinking a little bit bigger than that. Now let's never underestimate what Jesus can do. And with that, I think a question we can ask is, if my life has not been radically upset by Jesus, then is he really calling the shots in my life? If I look at my life, my life is not radically different than it was. Then is Jesus really the one calling the shots? Because if Jesus is like a mild disruption or a mild inconvenience for us, then we're doing something wrong. And by, by that I mean Jesus should, should never be this mild inconvenience. But if Jesus gives a little turbulence to our life, but like hasn't changed the direction of our life, then we need to examine and ask if Jesus is really calling the shots. So let's read Triumphal Entry. This is, this is what we read, Mark chapter 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, and, and we know Jesus has been moving towards Jerusalem for a while. A little while back, he kind of made a, a turn, and he said to his disciples, it's time to go. And uh, let's move towards Jerusalem, because that's where things happen in Israel. And you know, it was at that time he started telling his disciples, they're going to put me to death, I'll be raised up from the dead. And that's when last week Colin was talking to us about Mark chapter 10, yeah, or Mark chapter 9, where Peter said, no, no, like Jesus, that's not how it's going to happen again, because he was thinking a little bit smaller. And that's when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He goes, your, your, your thoughts are not on the things of, of God, but on the things of man. So Jesus now is saying, let's go to Jerusalem. So they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples. He said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it. All right, so we read this. We're like, man, if somebody came up into my yard and started to walk away with one of my horses, I'd shoot him, right? Okay, first of all, that's probably not okay. Second, back in this culture, especially during Passover time, Jerusalem was flooded with visitors. So it actually was not that uncommon It wouldn't be that uncommon for them to loan it to somebody. Like untie it and walk. But it wouldn't be unheard of for like uh, you to come up to a stranger and be like, hey, do you mind if I borrow your donkey to go get you know, so-and-so and bring him in? Like, that wouldn't have been unheard of. And, and you know, we read Colt here. We know from the other Gospels that this is a donkey. And we know there, there were a couple of them and that this is the colt that's never been ridden. Um, and again, I know almost nothing about donkeys. I've been around very few donkeys in my life. Most of my experience is talking with Corey about their donkey. And uh, 
I don't know about like someone who's brand new, never met a donkey colt before as being like the very first, right? That's one of the, one of the things that Jesus did is just to show, hey, I'm Jesus, I can ride But he tells his disciples, go up there, you're going to find this colt. Next blank is this, is that kings sometimes rode on donkeys. It was actually back in the day, that, that, that would be a way that like, if you were royalty, that's how you'd ride in. You wouldn't ride in on a, a colt that's never been ridden before, but it wouldn't be like, it wasn't like, like big horses were reserved for kings. I mean, kings actually oftentimes would ride mules or they'd come in on donkeys. So again, that could be a sign of royalty, but it's pretty cool. That Jesus chooses to come in in a way that is what royalty would do, but is not how royalty would do it. Like if you if you're a royal person coming into Jerusalem, if you want to make a big deal about yourself, because that's what you would do. And and all the way through, Jesus is saying, "Hey, my kingdom's a little bit different. We do things a little bit differently." And coming in on on not a, a mature you know, donkey or mule, but rather on a colt, is Jesus saying, hey, like this is a royal thing, and that I'm, I'm identifying myself as a king, but I'm doing it in a way that's full of humility. Because I'm not putting myself up there as like the best, or, or like saying, hey, like look at this animal. Rather, I'm choosing a very nondescript way to do it, but one that also shows my power because this is a cult that's never been ridden before. I think there's, there's something powerful in that. Um, we were talking in my Wednesday night group this last Wednesday night. Uh, we were work, working through that passage that Colin preached on last weekend. We were talking about how dangerous it is to start playing the comparison game. You know, and, and you look at whatever, I mean, for me, I can speak to mine. You know, I, I, look, at, I look at other churches. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk to buddies all over the country, and, and I mean, I'm incredibly blessed to be here, and, and we have a, just a wonderful church. We have godly leadership. We have great folks here. Um, I will catch myself every once in a while talking to somebody, and they'll ask about numbers in our church, or they'll ask about giving. And, and you know, I'll, I'll share information with them, and then start to follow it up with, and, you know, for a church our size and our demographic, that puts us in a really, really high percentile. And I realize that as soon as I do that, like, I'm no longer worried about like, God's work here. I'm worried about how good we look compared to everybody else. And I catch myself doing that every once in a while where someone will ask something about the church. And, and I mean, part of it is I, I love our church. I'm really proud of the way that I think God shows up and works through us. But I know personally for me, there are times where it's not just like excited about what God's doing here where it crosses that line into bragging and that pride and like, hey, like if we measure ourselves, or, or I'll look at guys who, you know, I graduated or who were a few years behind me at Bible college, and I'll look at them and hear them preach and think, well, gum, I'll never preach like that, you know? And, and I start doing that comparison game, and anytime we start doing that present, because when we're comparing, even if we find ourselves like falling short, the reason we start comparing ourselves to other, to each other all too often is to feel good about ourselves or feel like we're a little bit ahead. And you know, Jesus, if he measured himself by the measurements of the world, he was a terrible king. I mean, he, he, just, <laughs> he just wasn't good at being a king. I mean, he didn't have people serve him. 
He didn't have any military power. Um, he didn't have any wealth or giant palaces or huge kingdoms that he could point out that people knew about. I mean, by the world's standards, Jesus was actually a really, really bad king. But that's okay, because Jesus never played the comparison game, and Jesus wasn't ever trying to be good or be impressive by the world's standards. Because Jesus was playing a lot bigger game. And Jesus wasn't a bad, like, wasn't a bad king by worldly standards because he didn't have power. No, Jesus showed us that like, when you truly have power, you, you don't worry about that stuff. And I think that can apply especially to us, or maybe especially to people forever. Because like if I can be a good, like a, a good if I can follow Jesus well and have everybody look at me and notice that I'm doing well in my profession, and I can have, you know, kind of the things I want and and measure up pretty well to others, if I can have my cake and eat it too, I'm pretty excited about that. Honestly, that's, that's a lack of humility if that's what I'm worried about. And that's so far outside what Jesus wants for his people. So I think one of the questions we need to ask ourselves, even when we're just reading through this, when we get here, is just, is there humility in my life? And for all of us, you know, that, that's something that, that ebbs and flows. But if I catch myself playing the comparison game with others, then one of the things that lets me know is that there's not much, if any, humility present in my life at all. So Jesus, he tells his disciples, you're going to go into this town, you're going to find this, this baby donkey, bring it, I'm going to ride it. And so Jesus, this is the next blank, Jesus chooses a very humble way to come to Jerusalem. And so verse 3, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. Some of those standing there said to them, Why are you, or what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let him go. So I always, I always wonder what's going through the disciples' minds sometimes when Jesus tells them stuff. He's like, hey, go untie this colt, and they're going to ask you this. You tell them this, and it's good. I wonder if they're like talking to each other on the way. Do you think it's really like that? Or how does he know this? So they're like, well, here's a colt. They untie it. Owner's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, Jesus said he needs it. He'll have it right back. And they're like, okay, take it. And I think there's another lesson there. Because, and, and this is the next blank. If the king needs something of ours, do we let it go easily? Again, there's something pretty powerful in that Jesus said, just tell him the teacher needs it, or the Lord needs it, and they'll let you have it. Sorry, in Mark, it's the Lord needs it. Some of the other gospels, teacher has need of it. So Jesus has need of something. The owners are like, okay, sounds good. I think that goes back to that whole, like, does Jesus radically disrupt our lives? How tightly do we hang on to what we have? Like, if there's something that I have, whether it's a, a resource that I have, whether it's time, whether it's personal investment, um, whether it's a relationship, if, if Jesus says, this is something I need to use for him, and how tightly do I hang on to what I have? And I, I don't know, for me, one of the ways that, that I look at that is, I would so much rather give, give people stuff than time. You know, like, like if, if I could write a check to somebody, but like have a little bit more free time, I mean, my natural inclination is like, man, I'd love to have a little more free time to, you know, hunt fish, you know, whatever. Outdoor discipleship is how I like to think about it, you know, 
but how tightly do I hold on to the things that I think are mine but are actually God's? That's a rhetorical question. None of us can answer that for each other. But how tightly do I hang on to the things that, that I think are mine but are actually God's? There's something really cool about these owners. They're like, oh, Jesus needs it. We'll take it, you know. So this is what we read. They brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Those who went before him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Okay, so coming into Jerusalem, there's a whole crowd there. Um, and, and we know it's like crowds, crowds are pretty fickle, right? Because this same crowd that today is saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be you know, he who comes in the name of the Lord, kingdom of David, all of that. This is the same crowd that, that a week later is shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The crowds are fickle. You know, follow a, a few people that are, that are influencing that, that whole group of people. But Jesus, he's, he's coming, and uh, he's coming from Jericho to Jerusalem. And uh, Jericho is about 800 feet below sea level. Uh, Jerusalem is about 2,000 feet above sea level, so it's eight miles from one to the other, so it's uphill the whole way. This is getting close, riding the donkey, and there's a whole bunch of people there. And one of the things that you would do, king, is you would throw a blanket or throw a coat on the ground, and you would let the, the animal that was carrying the king walk on that, just respect. Uh, another thing that you would do a lot of times is you would take palm branches and do the same things. You might wave them, or you might put them on the ground and, and have the king walk over them. And so as Jesus is coming in, this is, this is one of the first times we see Jesus not kind of like, not hiding, but shying away a little bit from being king. You remember all those times where he told people like, don't tell anybody that I healed you. Uh, or he says, you know, don't tell anybody about this. Or he would speak in parables. And his disciples are like, hey, Jesus, this is confusing. And Jesus would say, well, I'm using a parable um, because I'm not quite ready to like, let everybody know explicitly what's going on. This is not like that. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to do something that kings do in a way that nobody could look at this and say that's not a king move. But I'm not going to do it the same way that everybody else does it. Like, I'm going to do it with humility, but I am going to let people know who I am. So, Everyone, everyone's shouting as he comes in. Someone, you know, I don't know if it was one of the disciples that started, but pretty soon this whole crowd is shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they say also, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So at that beginning, they're quoting this, this psalm, Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 is a big deal. And one of the things that Jesus, we're going to read Psalm 18 in just a second. But Jesus has shown us all the way through his life, and I think it culminates here, and this is your next blank, is that the journey is important. How we get to the desired endpoint matters. You guys ever hear the, the saying, uh, the ends justify the means? Anybody here ever use that to justify doing something? I, I know I have. So that is actually not, not biblical at all. And Jesus, all the way through, you remember at the very beginning of his reign, um, when he was tempted by Satan, one of the things Satan did is he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, hey, I'll make you king here, um, and show, or why don't you, wh- wh- actually Satan said, you know, I can make you king, but then Satan also said, 
why don't you do something that everybody will see that they'll know you're king right away? And Jesus said, no, that's, that's not God's plan. And Jesus said, you know, I'm not going to shortcut this. So instead, Jesus spent three years uh, with people who wanted to kill him, wanted to put him in prison, um, ended up dying on the cross. And Jesus could have gotten there a lot quicker, but he chose not to because the journey is important. The ends don't justify the means. The means are really, really important. You know, the, the, the journey that we take through life is, is absolutely critical when we're talking about the end point that we want to be at. And Jesus shows us that the journey is important. How we get to the desired end point matters. And now that he's getting close to the desired end point, he's going to show his disciples over the next week what he means by that. So everybody here is singing Psalm 118 to Jesus. This is a big deal because... Jesus, at this point, could have stopped him and chose not to. Now, uh, Psalm 118 is called a Hallel Psalm. And Hallel is just a word that means praise. But it's specifically a psalm that was written about the Israelites as they were coming out of Egypt. You know, way back when, when they were slaves in Egypt, and then they were coming out during the exodus to the promised land. It's a song that Jews would sing on the way to Jerusalem as they were getting ready to celebrate the Passover to remember this. It's a song that these people would sing about a time when they were slaves and God was delivering them into the promised land. And now they're associating that with Jesus. They're looking at Jesus and they're singing Hosanna, um, praise God because you, you are helping us go from slaves to the promised land. Let me read a, a few more verses of Psalm 118. I'm going to read 118, 25 through 29. This is where we read, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Jesus is hearing this, and Jesus doesn't stop him. Because Jesus is saying, that's right, that's right, this is life-changing. I am the coming kingdom of David. But again, you guys are thinking that, like, I'm here to overthrow the armies that are oppressing And Jesus said, no, like, I understand there's something bigger than that right now sleep sin and death and jesus said i'm that's that's the enemy i'm gonna conquer uh, i was thinking though about this you know as jesus is coming up these folks are singing it and they would sing these psalms as they went up to jerusalem and remembering the way that god delivered them in the past and if i were to come up to you and i were to ask you about all the good things going on in your life or all the bad things going on in your life which of Think would be. If you were to ask me, I can tell you about a lot of stuff that is not going exactly the way I want it to. I mean, don't get me wrong, I have an incredibly blessed life, and so I mean, it wouldn't be like, you know, this, this awful list that would leave me in tears. Uh, but I do tend to be a problem solver, and so I could tell you every hiccup I'm facing, you know, remodeling the basement and challenges that we have right now as a church, and, you know, thinking about Easter, like, you know, logistics that we're still figuring out. You know, I, I got a whole list of that. But if you were to ask me, 
Like, where am I seeing God right now in my life? Man, sometimes that question is a little bit tougher to answer. You know, if, if you ask me, where's God showing up in your life right now? Sometimes I have to pause a minute and think, you know, huh. Yeah, that's a question that we ask every Wednesday night. It's the first question we ask in our, in our Bible study there is, where have you seen God this week? And it's funny because sometimes that is a really tough question to answer. And it's not because God's not moving, it's just sometimes we're not looking for Him. And that's one of the beautiful things about the Psalms, especially about these Hallel, these praise Psalms, because they were specifically sung at specific times of the year to remind God's people that God was moving. And I think there's something really, really important there. The next blank is this. What do you do to remember God's goodness? And the next blank is this. Because if we do not have a rhythm of intentionally remembering God's goodness, we will forget. You know, we're, we're people, we're flawed, and for whatever reason, every single one of us has a shorter memory than we should when it comes to the way God works in our life. Because the, the truth is, God is working in us all the time. He's working around us and through us and in us. And if we open our eyes to see it, we see it all the time. But when we get discouraged and we stop thinking about how God's moving or we stop looking for God moving in our life, then pretty soon we forget. And then pretty soon we're down and then we're frustrated and we feel like you know our faith is just not where it used to be. And a lot of that is because we just don't take time to intentionally remember God's goodness in our life. Um, I've talked about it. My, my wife and I do something every night before we go to sleep. You know, it's just called highs and lows. We were talking about our highs and our lows for the day. Um, and, you know, that's just a way of reminding each other, like, you know, making sure we're on the same page, but remembering, like, the, something really happened that day. And then, and then usually, as we remember low, it gives us a chance to just kind of calibrate and dial in and say, yeah, this is like something that, that wasn't as good that we can figure out. Um, but I think that's something that we could do with God as well. You know, and just say, hey, like, where did I see God today? But if we don't intentionally have a time where we remember and make a point of specifically remembering concrete things that God has done, then sooner or later we just become callous and we forget to notice those. So there's, there's a side lesson here. As Jesus is coming in, these Jewish folks are, are singing to him. They were singing a song that they would sing from time to time it, it, in a regular rhythm to remind them that God was working and God was active. That's one of the reasons that we get together as a church body uh, because we get to remind each other of that so that you know, on a Wednesday when we sit down, it's like, hey, where have you seen God this week? You know, Every once in a while we'll have that week where we just have our eyes closed to it and we'll be like, well... To be honest, this week was awful. I, you know, I don't know. And we talked to somebody else in the circle. It was like, yeah, I saw God show up in this little way. I saw this God show up in a little way. I saw God show up in a little way. And, uh, you know, pretty soon you're feeding off each other. And it's like, man, that's, that's good. You know, and that changes perspective, too. That just makes, makes everything a little bit better. So, um, yeah, I was thinking about it. So just small example of this. Uh, last Sunday... Uh, I went and picked up lunch for the family because it was, it was my, my meal to cook. And so that was, you know, that's, that's how we do it sometimes. But I was running late. And so by the time I got home, uh, Jocelyn was already asleep uh, taking her nap. And so kind of missed that window. So that was fine. Lori and I ate lunch. Um, 
And then about 5.30 that evening, uh, all of a sudden, Lori looks at me and goes, I don't feel very good. And uh, shortly after that, I started not feeling really good. And so we had that wonderful, you know, working through bad food that we ate for the next 24 hours or so. Uh, by the way, great diet plan. I think I dropped like seven pounds in, in a day. But, but we'd also, because Lori left town on Thursday of this week, uh, we'd set up daycare for Jocelyn. She on Tuesday, but we'd set it up for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. So we woke up Monday just grinning around the gills, sick as could be, but we'd already had daycare set up for our little girl, and that was a blessing not to have to be sick while she was there. Uh, she was already napping, so she didn't even so she was healthy all week. And so it was like, and when we got to Wednesday, it was like, where have you seen God moving? I was like, man, I mean, honestly, God was watching out for us. I mean, it wasn't real fun to deal with, you know, bad food for 24 hours. But like our little girl, if she'd been sick like we had, I mean, she would have been in rough shape. Um, and instead, like she had a place to go, daycare wasn't sick. And it was like, man, you know, and I was in a circle with Smiths and Cal and Anita. And, you know, as we were just talking about little like, man, God, God is good and moving, not always in like earth-moving ways, but in little ways that shows that God is taking care of us. Let's make sure, and if you don't have an intentional time, whether it's with your spouse, with friends, or even by yourself, just to remember that God is good and moving and remember how He does that, then work that in. Because if we don't do that, we will forget. So there's one more verse, verse 11. So Jesus, He came into Jerusalem after not stopping anybody and, and explicitly saying, yep, like that talk about a king, that is me. So then he entered Jerusalem, and this is, a, this is just to me a funny verse. He entered Jerusalem, went into the temple. When he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. All right, so he went to Jerusalem, then he went to the temple. You guys know what he does the next day in the temple? Yeah. Yep, that's when he goes in with the whip and just drives him out. So apparently he did a scouting trip to the temple. You're looking around and saying, yep, that's the court I'm going to use. Hit that table first. Then he grabs his disciples and he goes off by themselves. And uh, it's really interesting because this is Jesus, God's son. I mean, Jesus doesn't need help. But it is interesting that before the busiest, most influential week in the history of the world, Jesus went to go spend time with his disciples. You know, Jesus has this crazy, trying week coming up. And he grabs the 12 guys who are closest to him and basically go back to Bethany and just hang out, kind of catch their breath. This is the last blank. There's something powerful about spending time with other Christians during trying seasons. I mean, the disciples at this point, they're still pretty clueless. They, they don't know what's going on. I mean, they've seen Jesus walk in and they're like, all right, we're going we're gonna, to you know, make a difference this week. And Jesus knows how hard this week is going to be. But Jesus takes time, pulls away with his disciples. He's getting ready to hit this. I think this is a reminder again that, that we all need. Because we all tend to be a little bit independent. And, and we always like to be the guy that helps people. We don't always like to be the person that gets help. Right? I mean, I, I don't know about you. I know most of us in this room, we'd rather give the shirt off our back than tell somebody that we actually need a little bit of help. I think it's interesting that the Son of God, before a tough week, said, nope, I need to spend a little bit of time with my 12 closest friends. There's something powerful about getting together with fellow Christians, especially when we're going through tough seasons. I mean, that's one of the absolute best things about church, 
is that we're not here going through life on our own or by ourselves. We get to do that together. Let me just encourage and challenge and remind you, if you are in a challenging season, first of all, Scripture says those happen. Like you, You don't read the single story of a godly person in the Bible without reading about them going through a tough, challenging season. So if that's you, that's okay. But with that, don't He's getting ready to hit this really busy week. I mean, he's clearing the temple. He's arrested. He's beaten. He, he's uh, crucified. He's put to death. And then he raises from the dead. I mean, that's, that's a full week by anybody's standards. And he pulled away with his 12 closest friends for a reason. If you're having a tough season, man, don't, don't do that by yourself. That's why we have some small groups here at the church. Uh, we, we have uh, just different opportunities that we get smaller groups and we remember whose we are. And that's really important in good seasons and even more important in challenging seasons. Because sometimes in those really challenging seasons, it's just those other Christians who remind us where and how God is moving. So we read this, and, and we're going to read Easter next week. And, and next week, we celebrate the resurrection. This week, Jesus comes in and just Jesus plants his king. Like I've kind of like there's no more hinting. We're explicit. I am the first disciples. That, that week of still figuring out what that meant. We know what that meant because we know what happens a week from the triumphal entry. You know, we we, we remember that Jesus walks out of this tomb after conquering sin and death. So for us. We know Jesus is the king. That's decision time for us. I mean, you know, we're, we're sitting there wondering what to do. We've got the slingshot pulled back, and all of a sudden there's light, and we know who this person is. And now we don't just sit and wonder what we do about it. Right now it's action time. So let me just ask you really directly do you know Jesus? Because this isn't one that we can just sit on forever. You know, we can't hear stories about Jesus and say, well, he's a good teacher or, or you know, he's a, he's a great man, he's a prophet. No. No, Jesus is either God's Son who raised from the dead and has my eternity in His hand, or He's not. When we come face to face with Him, we've got to make a decision. If you're here today, and you know, you've been thinking about that for a while, let me just ask you, just make that call today. Because Jesus truly does have your eternity. I guarantee whatever you think about your future, Jesus is thinking way, way bigger. Whatever your plans are, Jesus is thinking so much bigger than you can imagine. And Jesus explicitly says, and then backs it up with his resurrection, that he's the king. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, don't leave today without doing that. I mean, literally, that is eternity changing. You know, we're, we're going to have a, a closing song here in just a few minutes. Uh, after that, we're going to have some announcements. We're going to end our service with prayer. Uh, but if you want to make a decision, just stay in your seat. Make your way over by the drum set after service is over. We'd love to talk with you about that. Now, there's a lot of us in this room who've already made that decision. And for us, it doesn't stop there because then that requires action for the rest of our lives. You know, we, we read about you know, the, these folks that just gave up the donkey. 
Uh, we read about the disciples who obeyed Jesus. We read about these people who, who put their stuff down before Jesus so that he could walk on it. And so I guess the, the question that we ask ourselves is, how much is my life disrupted by Jesus? Where do I see him working and what do I need to hold more loosely to? If you're sitting here today, can you know what? Like, I, I know Jesus is the king, and, and darn it, I'm trying to follow him, but uh, I also find it's really, really, really hard to give up my plans, or hard to give up my thing, or maybe I, I don't even know how to recognize what his plan for me is, or what it is that he's calling me to do, or who it is he's calling me to be. Again, let's not leave today without at least having a conversation and a prayer about that. Same thing, if you want to pray with someone, if you want to talk with someone, uh, just make your way over by the drum set, stay in your seat, we'd love to follow up with you. You know, Colin and I love to sit down with folks during the week. Uh, we have godly elders, deacons, godly men and women in this church who'd love to talk with you about what it looks like to live a life of obedience. Because the truth is, like once we know who Jesus is, at that point, you know, it's, it's no longer thinking, working through stuff time. It's decision time. It's action time. It's either, either Jesus is going to call the shots in my life or he's not. Let's make sure we're people that Jesus is calling the shots in our life for. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, it's so good um, to have you as our king. Jesus, I pray that, that as, uh, as we're getting ready for Resurrection Sunday, um, as we're remembering your sacrifice for us, um, Jesus, remind us again and again and again that you are the king, that you are moving in and around and through us. Jesus, I pray that you would send us those reminders we need to notice that, um, that we would... Uh, yeah, that we would just have our eyes open to the way that you're working. Jesus, I pray that uh, in those areas of our life where we've not been disrupted by you, Jesus, that, uh, that we would turn those over to you. Jesus, I uh, pray that uh, this week you would just allow us to be a people who not just knows your king, but points to you as king and, and allows others to see your kingship in the way that we live our lives. We love you. We know that you love us more. It's in your name we pray. Amen.